Hey there, literary fans, and welcome to episode 12 of Jeff Reads His Book. I am your host, Jeff Armstrong, and today we're going to be reading chapter 12 of Bringing Balance, a book I wrote in a month. If you want to contact me, you can always visit my website at jeffreadshisbook.com, and there's a few ways you can reach me right on there. I'll go over them in detail at the end of this episode, huh? So, right now it's getting towards the end of October, and uh, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know that the one reason I wrote this book was National Novel Writing Month, and that is coming up in November, people. So if you'd like to write your own book, you should really look into it, because it is hilarious. And you end up with these perfect works of fiction after you're done, just like mine. But this year, I'm not going to do it. I did finish last year, but no way I'm going to partake in it this year. Uh, I did talk to my friend, my boy Glenn. He said that he was actually maybe thinking about finishing the one he started last year. Uh, if you've heard me talk about him before, he is my friend who tried to do National Novel Writing Month when he found out that I had done it before. And uh, he ran into some issues, mostly because Thanksgiving is a thing in November here in the U.S. And it was a bit of a problem for him, and that's fine. Uh I have never not finished when I tried, but I think I'm a bit of a special case because I have a lot of leeway in my life to get that thing done. You know what I mean? Uh, but you guys need to look into it. It's hilarious. National Novel Writing Month. And ooh, if you do it, look for me on there, right? Uh, I do have an account and we can be writing buddies. That'll be fun. All right. So uh, let's look at some of the feedback we got. Uh, my single loyal listener a.k.a. my wife, sent some feedback from last week. Uh, so let's go over some of her questions. Uh, first question, I asked if the uh, characters in this book actually use the bathroom or restroom or bodily functions, whatever. Uh, and her response was, I never gave a second thought to the bathroom habits of the travelers, but assumed it happens when they stop for magic sandwiches or other such treats. I'm glad that magic sandwiches is a theme in this book. <laughs> uh, second one. Oh, oh, if you remember last week, the road was stone, but that didn't make sense because there were tracks in it from these people trying to escape from our heroes. Oh my God. So is it dirt or is it stone? She points out that she thought that I might have said it was dirt at the beginning of the chapter, but then later it said it was stone. She claims she's going to stick with dirt, although it does say pretty explicitly stone. Uh, or maybe the wheels were wet and they were tracking the wet marks, but those would eventually dry out, you think? Yeah, it's a good, all right, that's a good explanation. So it's just wet. I mean, they were traveling at night, so maybe there's like condensation on wheels. Is that a thing? I doubt they'd stay cold if they were rolling. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I like it though. I like it. At least... You know, it's the world of magic. You never know. It might leave magic trails on the road. Woo! Spooky! <laughs> so let me see. Uh, oh, were you surprised that Roland was the bad guy? She has a very insightful answer here. I was surprised at first, but then I put two and two together when I realized he could read minds. 
After all, that explains why he had exactly five glasses ready when they arrived at his house. And here, I just thought he was a prepared host. That's a good point. So that's why, see, I did claim that might be foreshadowing. And she dismissed it, saying at the time, no, he's just a good host, has that out and ready to go. But now she's come back around. See, I must have known that, having read this book or written this book. I'm just kidding. I have, I don't know anything about this story. It's terrible. It's terrible. But uh, that's pretty exciting. So today... We are moving to chapter 12. That means with this podcast, we are officially halfway, maybe halfway. I guess there is an epilogue to this. So that will be an extra uh, chapter, episode, whatever, at the end of this. But um, if we're just going by chapter numbers, episode 12 is past the halfway point because there are 22 chapters in this book. And I'm a little frustrated because we're not halfway through the pages of this book And that's why these are going to keep getting longer. So this week's chapter, chapter 12, is a whopping 13 pages long. And this is going to be a catastrophe to try to read. Um, Probably not at my most rested self today, because we're doing this on a lunch hour on a uh, Tuesday. So I am going to throw together this reading, uh, pop in all this music, listen to it once through, not actually make any edits, and then release it very quickly this afternoon. Uh, So I don't know how hilarious this will be today, but we're going to get through this. We're going to get through this. Anyway, chapter 12, I did peek ahead. It is exciting. Yes, that is one of my notes on my notepad. Exciting. Uh, We're going to meet some magical creatures. We really haven't seen many magical creatures, have we? I guess there were some monsters when they were walking to the temple and they were coming out of the mud. Um... Um, I mean, there was a horse. I don't think anything else has been magical other than sandwiches and scary monsters. Scary monsters, sandwiches, and now we're going to have a new magic creature. This is very exciting. I hope you guys like it. Uh, This was, I guess, one of my original ideas. Oh, it's going to be so bad. Um, uh, let me see. Oh, oh, for all you dorks out there, uh... If you went to engineering school, try to see if you could figure out how controls and systems engineering plays into this chapter. (laughs) I actually didn't do this on purpose, but, um, well, I guess I did. I mean, I wrote it, but uh, my friend, uh, Glenn, again, he did point out that uh, he liked that I added that, and he pointed out that it was some engineering, and I guess I didn't really realize it when I wrote it, but... Pretty hilarious. So see if you can figure out where that happens. Ooh, write in. Although I'm going to point it out. So don't write in. I mean, if you listen to the first half, you can pause right now and send me an email. Ooh, or hashtag, um, let me see, hashtag magic engineering, huh? How about that? All right. So since we have 13 pages to read today and I've already babbled on for... Oh my god, seven minutes it looks like? Why don't we just leap in to chapter 12? So for today's chapter, uh, while I read, I am going to be sipping a Labatt Blue. I mean, uh, we are on a lunch break, so I'm trying to stay away from the hard liquor for this reading. So we're just going to milk this can of Labatt Labatt Blue that I had in my fridge. Labatt Blue... 
I mean, I kind of like it. It's pretty good. I'd say it's pretty good cheap beer. Uh, I usually buy this when I'm going to my friends' houses because um, while it is cheap, it doesn't look as cheap as if I brought them like High Life, which honestly, eh, I might prefer. I'm not sure. The champagne of beers is pretty good. But Labat, Labat Blue, not bad at all. It's a little uh, more bitter than like a Molson, but it's still from Canada. I love Canada. Canada is the bomb. Ask my wife. We go there way too much at this point, I think. Well, uh, you know what? Let me take that back because she's going to listen to this. No, guess what? I love going to Canada and I do want to go more. So it's not way too much. I think it might be way too much in other people's eyes, but uh, they can go to hell. But Labatt Blue, top notch. This is a good bulk beer. And if you don't want to look poor when you go to your friend's house, get a six pack because it's cheap. But it looks like you have some sort of taste instead of just bringing them I don't know, MGD. Can you get a six-pack of MGD? Do they make that still? I don't know. I know. I, you know, I'm pretty set in my ways. It's basically Genesee at home, uh, Labatt when I go out, you know, to a friend's house. If I'm drinking somewhere, eh, it could be any sort of thing, you know, but eh, it depends. Depends on the situation. All right, all right, all right. Why don't we start reading? Because I just wasted two minutes talking about Canadian beer. All right. <clears throat> When the sun began to rise, the three found themselves... Ugh, you know what? I'm going to pause here and take my eyeglasses off. And let's go starting it again. Okay. I could edit this out if I cared enough, but we're not going to do that. When the sun began to rise, the three found themselves still traveling along the same road and following the same tracks. Wow. Exciting. The road had wound back into an old wood. That sounds pretentious, huh? An old wood. Where the trees seemed almost evil with their twisted, low-hanging limbs. In the trees, they could hear the occasional flapping of wings, but they saw nor heard any other signs of motion. But they saw nor heard... And I think it was there's supposed to be a neither in there. Neither? Neither? Neither. They neither saw nor heard any other signs of motion. <laughs> I would have said, well, I didn't. I would have, I should have said any other signs of life. How about that? All right. Erin did not feel comfortable within the old growth forest, and she hoped they would emerge soon. So we're apparently going to do this from Erin's point of view. Hmm. Eventually, the group, uh, if you recall, the group has three people in it right now. Eventually, the group came upon a fork in the road. The stone road continued to the left. Ugh, it's stone again! Oh my god! All right. Continued to the left, bending back into the forest, while a dirt road forked right. Stephen stopped to study both roads for a time. He squatted over the left, studying the ground. What, the, the stone? What the... All right. Then walked to the dirt road, running his hand through the grooves. After doing this three times, he returned to Aaron and Henry, running his hand through his hair. Ugh, it's dirty, though. He just rubbed grooves. Well, I think one cart went to the left, and another headed down the dirt road, he said. Which one was carrying Margot? Aaron asked. I'm not real sure. I think the one that remained on the stone road was a coach of some sort. Well, the dirt road shows signs of a more basic cart, he answered. 
All three wandered over to the fork. Stephen returned to the stone road while with Erin, while Henry examined the dirt road for any clues. Erin knew she was no help in analyzing wheel tracks or horse prints. On In the stone? What the crap, me? Ugh, past me sucks at writing books. Erin knew she was no help in analyzing wheel tracks or horse prints, so she began inspecting the roadside for any clues. She wasn't sure what she was looking for, but she continued searching. After a few minutes of searching, Henry called out for both... Page turn. Oh, I did not prepare for this. Okay. Oh my... Oh. Sorry, that was a tough one. Stephen and Aaron to come quick. The pair rushed to the dirt road, where Henry pointed to the roadside a little ways down from the fork. Margot was taken this way, he said, smiling. And she was still alive! When Aaron followed his finger to the ground, she saw the obvious clue that only Margot could have left. A lone shoe. The shoe was a sparkling woman's shoe with almost no heel, clearly meant to be worn with a formal gown. Uh, wouldn't you wear heels with a gown? <laughs> I don't know. I don't regularly wear one, so... It appeared to be so clean that it could not have been lying on the roadside for more than a few hours. A shoe? Stephen asked in confusion. Margot has a thing for shoes, explained Erin. It's really not any more complicated than that. <laughs> Stephen's eyebrow raised in disbelief despite the simple explanation. Erin shrugged. Henry grabbed the shoe and the trio started down the dirt road. As they progressed, the road slowly began to deteriorate, eventually becoming a narrow path that appeared to be only occasionally traveled. The surrounding forest, though, looked no less foreboding. Ooh. While cautiously walking down the road, the three were surprised when a large brown bird swept down and landed directly in the center of the path. The bird turned its head to examine the now stationary travelers with an almost arrogant stance, or so Aaron perceived. Oh, this is going to be fun right here. All right. What's it doing? Aaron asked, staring at the bird. I'm blocking your progress, obviously, the bird replied, shocking all three onlookers. As they stood speechless, the bird continued. What is your business here? Ha, <laughs> it's a talking bird. You like that? Pretty magical, huh? Not a parrot, though, either. It's brown. Parrots are green. Maybe other colors. I don't know. Hmm. All right. Henry spoke up. We're trying to rescue a friend, another mage. You are all mages, the bird asked. No, only I am. These are my companions on this task, Henry exclaimed, explained. I always say exclaimed instead of explained. I'm not very good at reading out loud. If you couldn't tell. Uh, you have no interest in the relic, the bird asked, examining each of them carefully. I do not know of any relics in these lands. We are strangers here, Henry responded. You're only interested in the witch, the bird asked. Is she alive, Henry inquired, hopefully. Very much so, the bird answered. Aaron, amazed, amazed, whispered in Henry's ear. What's going on? <laughs> this isn't Erudite Falcon. Is that how you say erudite? I hope so, because I wrote it. <laughs> uh, 
Henry said, nodding towards the bird. They are a rare, highly intelligent species. I have never had the pleasure of meeting one before. The bird seemed to ignore the pleasantry. My flock does not take kindly to mages in these parts. We do not approve of what is done here. Henry responded, I won't pretend to know what happens around here. We have only come to free our friend and continue on our way. We have reason to believe she is in danger. The bird ruffled its feathers. She is in a great deal of danger. She is locked in a cage near the relic, and she is guarded by a great many mages and soldiers. Ooh. Henry risked being forward with the bird. Would there be any way you might consider helping us, he asked. The bird stood still for a moment, as if contemplating the proposal. You are not friends with the witch's captors? Henry Henry winced slightly every time the bird referred to Margot as a witch. He knew how much she despised the term. They are our enemies, Stephen replied for Henry. This request is significant. I do not know if we can aid you, the bird calmly stated. There was a silence as the bird stared at the three travelers, and the three returned to stare. Suddenly, Henry's eyebrows raised as if he had just remembered something. It is very likely that Mar... that the witch is carrying some stoneberries. She carries many items, Henry offered. See, see, he was... It is very likely that Mar... dot, dot, dot... That the witch, because the bird doesn't know her name is Margot, right? Okay, okay. Just to clear that up if you're not reading along with me. You know, and for the live studio audience, none of them have books today in my basement studio here. The bird cocked its head at, at the suggestion. I see nothing in her possession, it said. Ah, but she is a witch, is she not? She hides many things, Henry countered. He had realized that erudite falcons considered stoneberries a delicacy. Wait, so we're still telling this from Aaron's perspective, but uh, Henry's got these... Uh, uh, wait a minute, let me, well, there wasn't a drinking break, right? Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Wow, this is poor writing right here. I, I should have just written this from uh, Henry's perspective, don't you think? Uh, he realized, see, because now I'm doing like narration in this book. He had realized that the erudite falcon considered stoneberries a delicacy. The small berries, which appeared as pebbles, grew only on a certain type of ground cover. The falcons and other birds would rarely eat stoneberries because they were almost impossible to see from the sky, and the plant was often watched by predators looking to capture a daring bird. I cannot be sure if she has them, but it is highly probable, Henry continued. I must have been drunk writing this, because this doesn't make sense why it's in Aaron's perspective. I mean, she doesn't know what the hell... You know what? He should have whispered the explanation to keep it in her perspective. I think that would have worked. I think that would have worked. Mm. All right. We're almost at a drinking break. For everybody playing along at home. The, mer- b- uh, the bird moved its head to examine the three further. The bird then stated, I will ask the flock if they will agree to it. Wait here for me. The bird spread its wings and leapt into the sky. That was odd, Aaron said. Have you seen these before, Stephen? 
Yes, but just once, he responded. Wow, thanks for adding something. (laughs) (laughs) After a minute of waiting, Aaron, Stephen, and Henry decided to continue down the path further. However, they took no more than five steps when the bird landed in front of them. If you produce the berries, we will help, the bird said. Henry sighed. We need to free Mar... The witch, before we can give you the berries, Henry said. We will not stand in your way, the bird stated, before flying away again. Wonderful, Henry mumbled. Wonderful. Is that a good mumble? Could you hear that? I hope so. The group continued down the path until they noticed what appeared to be smoke through the trees. They could just make out some sort of encampment in a clearing through the gnarled limbs and leaves ahead of them. I'm sorry, I'm having trouble reading. Stephen whispered to the other two, I'll go ahead and check it out. Stay here just a minute. Hunched over, the young man man, crept silently through the underbrush away from Henry and Aaron. Only a moment later, he returned. There's a clearing up ahead. On the side of the clearing closest to us, against the trees, there's a handful of mages, probably five, and another five armed soldiers. In the center of the clearing is some sort of stone altar. I'm not sure what it is. On the opposite side of the clearing, but still away from the trees, is a cart with a cage on it. Margot's in the cage, sitting with her knees pulled up to her chest. None of the soldiers appear to be guarding the cart. I don't think they're expecting any unwanted visitors. What do we do? Aaron asked. They both looked at Henry expectantly. He considered the situation carefully. They were clearly outnumbered, so they couldn't just try and attack. A surprise attack would be nearly as foolhardy. Henry knew he'd have to trick them somehow. Perhaps if he made a scene, he thought to himself... Aaron and Stephen might be able to discreetly free... Oh, for God's sakes, me. So this is... I'm bouncing back and forth between whose perspective this is in. Mm, yeah, because Aaron knew she was no help. Yeah, we haven't had a drinking break, but this so far this section is told from Henry and Aaron's perspective. This is sloppy. All right. Um, a surprise... Blah, 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 blah. Discreetly free Margot. All right, how about this, he said, pausing. You both can creep around to the rear of the clearing, behind the cart. I'll move straight towards the encampment and make some sort of scene, something to distract them all. Meanwhile, you can both creep forward and release Margot. How do we open the cage? It's probably locked, Aaron asked. Henry pondered this, but he could think of nothing. You'll have to figure something out. Do we have a plan, he asked. Not a, part- not a particularly good one, but I suppose, Aaron said. All right, get going, Henry said. I won't make a move for two minutes. Yeah, start your stopwatches, right? Stephen led Aaron off through the undergrowth, traveling around the clearing quietly. Henry silently counted to himself, trying to ensure the other two had enough time. To create a scene, he would have to be clever. He knew the best way to trick any mage was to play to their ego. Many mages he met tended to be arrogant and self-centered. He needed to use that to his advantage somehow. The count in his head reached two minutes, 
and he proceeded towards the encampment. Woo! Drinking break! This is getting good. Aren't you guys excited? Mmm. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. Drinking break, so this perspective should change. Let's hope I get back on track with only one character's perspective between drinking breaks, right? Okay. Margot sat in the isolation cage, staring at the floor, her head resting on her arms, which in turn rested on her knees. She had tried to think of a way out of the situation, but this was easily the most trouble she... Okay, I'm going to have to... Sorry, this is a tough one to read. But this was easily the most trouble she in which she had ever found herself. Okay, so there's an extra she in there. Gonna down that word count by one. (laughs) Although I missed that neither earlier in the chapter, so. Okay. Let me see here. Her only hope was that her companions had pursued her captors, but she knew that their arrival probably wouldn't be for a long while. She had tried leaving a clue at the only turn her captors had taken, but even that might be too subtle for Henry, considering he would have to trail them most of the way without a clue. With every passing moment, she knew her chances grew slimmer. She was familiar with the relic, an extractor. Her captors were most likely waiting for whoever could operate it to arrive, before they would subject her to its powers. She knew the procedure would be excessively painful and would result in her death as every bit of her magic and life force was transferred to the receiver subject. Ooh, so it like extracts your life force and uh, magic, I guess, huh? Margot was truly afraid of the device, and (laughs) Shu couldn't bear to look at it. (laughs) That's funny because she likes shoes and it's a typo. (laughs) While she sat alone with her thoughts, she felt something hard strike her skull from the woods. Looking carefully at the floor of the cage, she found a small pebble. Carefully, she raised her head so as to avoid attracting any attention and surveyed the most likely area of origin of the pebble. Her jaw dropped when she saw Erin smile in her waving hand. Stephen, who who she could now see beside the girl, grabbed Aaron and pushed her back down into the brush. Just after the pair hid, Henry strided confidently from the woods onto the edge of the encampment. Oh, very exciting. But another drinking break. That was a pretty short little section, huh? That's good stuff, right? Let's have another little sip, huh? Oh my goodness. All right, here we go. This is going to be Henry, I think, this time. Henry suddenly revealed himself to the mages and soldiers waiting in the clearing. His eyes fixed on Frederick. Ah, he's back. This is his third chapter. Jumped, uh, his eyes fixed on Frederick, who he was positive would be in charge. The soldiers scrambled to find their weapons, and the mages, other than Frederick, jumped up into defensive stances. <laughs> I picture that being like karate stances, you know? Or, right, Mortal Kombat, because that's where some of these magic moves are from, right? All right. Henry had very low hopes for his plan, but he could, couldn't think of anything better. It's nice to see you again, Frederick, Henry said confidently. 
Frederick wore an evil smirk. He responded, I wish I could say the same, Henry. How can I help you? I've brought something I think you might want, Henry said. I highly doubt that, Frederick laughed. Ha <laughs> ha! All right. I believe you're after the off-worlder and what she wears around her neck. Frederick paused, then eyed Henry suspiciously. Where is Sir Roland? I defeated him. He will not be taking credit for my hard work, and neither will you, Henry said. Once I saw what he was up to, I did away with him. So you've come to trade the girl for your precious Margot? Frederick asked. Henry laughed loudly. Ha ha! Please, you give her far too much importance. I am here to bargain with a magistrate. Behind the, conf behind the confused mages and soldiers, Henry could see Stephen creeping forward toward the cage with a large stone in hand. Margot listened to Henry's nonsense, shocked that they would believe him. The portion about Roland was especially confusing. She saw no sign of him anywhere around the clearing. He would have been a better person to create a scene, for Frederick had at least respected the elder mage once long ago. As Henry continued babbling, she could tell time was running short. She discreetly waved to the woods, signaling Stephen to make whatever move he had in mind. When he stealthily emerged from the woods carrying a large rock, her hopes for rescue sunk a little. Upon arriving at the cage, he quietly stood up and examined the lock holding the door shut. The lock was rather basic, Margot noted, but still impossible for her to break. A young man with a rock, on the other hand, had a slightly better chance. Well, why was she getting... <sighs> her hopes for rescue sunk a little, but then she's like, oh, he'll definitely break this, rock, this lock open because he's a hunk. I think we've determined Stephen's a hunk, right? Yeah. Stephen's a hunk. Henry's a wiener, per our feedback. Yes. All right. All right. We're back. We're back. Let's keep going here, huh? My phone made some beeping noises, but we're going to ignore that for now. Although it could be our favorite listener. Let's go to the phone to see. Oh, it is our favorite listener. Yes. Okay. Anyway, let's go back. Um... Lock was rather basic, Margot noted, but still impossible for her to break. All right. Stephen looked back towards the encampment, waiting for a good moment to smash the lock. The archaic stone device partially... Oh, oh the altar. Okay. <laughs> I thought it was the rock in his hand was the archaic stone device. The archaic stone device partially obscured the young man from view, which could give him a chance to drop to the ground quickly after smashing the lock. Margot could barely hear Henry, so finding a good time to attempt the escape was going to be difficult. The trapped woman climbed up to her knees so that she was now kneeling in the cage, facing her captors. Checking that nobody was looking, she nodded to the young man hunched down next to the cart on which the cage was mounted. Thank you for all that goddamn detail, Jeff. Jesus. Stephen stood up, raised the stone, and brought the rock down with full force on the lock. Simultaneously, Margot grabbed the cage bars and shook them to make it appear she was the source of the noise. Henry paused as most of her captors turned to look at her with disdain. Nobody seemed to notice Stephen, who had effectively flattened himself to the ground, obscured by the gothic device in the center of the clearing. Ah, huh? gothic. Very nice. 
The onlookers turned back towards Henry, who had begun babbling again. Margot risked a look at the lock. All that remained was a metal U. The mechanism itself lay on the ground next to Stephen's arm. The escape would still remain difficult. She guessed that the cage door would make a terrible noise. However, once she was outside the cage, she would be able to cast a spell once again, free of the magical isolation. She would need to be she would need to quickly cast a spell to make it appear she was still inside. The timing would be tricky. Hmm. So I guess that it was an isolation cage because it doesn't allow like the occupant to do magic. It isolates them. Stephen stood to help open the door, but Margot shook her head and pointed towards the forest, indicating that he should return to hiding. Stephen nodded and crept back to where Aaron waited. Margot reached her hand outside the cage, feeling the burning sensation as its magical shielding seared her hand, removed what remained of the lock, and jostled the latch. It didn't seem as if it would make much noise at all, so she pulled the latch handle downward, releasing the cage door. Still, nobody had turned around, and Henry continued ranting. She was growing worried that he wouldn't be able to keep it up much longer. Pulling her hand back to the cage, she noted the redness from the magical shielding. She began preparing her spell, envisioning the illusion she wished to create. When ready, she kicked the door open and released the prepared magic. Drinking break! Very exciting. I was going to keep reading because uh, we're going into some dialogue here, but uh, yeah, yeah, I got to have a little sippy here. So. Hmm. so my wife did text me saying she was going on her walk and she usually listens to this during her walk, but guess what? She's not going to get to hear this episode because I'm not done recording it today. All right. Okay, let's get cooking here. All right, so we're going right into dialogue. Ready? And that is why I shall only turn my prisoners over to a magistrate personally. Do you understand? Henry declared. With a timing that seemed almost too perfect, a loud bang came from the cage. The ever more suspicious soldiers and mages turned quickly to the cage behind them to see the black-haired woman shaking the cage bars again. Enough! Frederick cried in the direction of the cage. The captive sat back onto the floor and resumed her despair. (laughs) Can you resume despair? (laughs) Henry, however, correctly guessed that everything he saw was actually a brilliant piece of magic from one of the greatest illusionists he had ever met. I am not going to request the presence of a magistrate, exclaimed the exasperated Frederick. Exclaimed the exasperated Frederick. That's some alliteration there. If you, all right, let me, let me exclaim it. Let's go back. I am not going to request the presence of a magistrate, exclaimed the exasperated Frederick. If you want any help whatsoever, you will remain here with me and tell my men where this girl is being held. They will retrieve her and the matter will be settled. I am the one in charge here, not you. You always thought you were the best, didn't you, Frederick? Henry taunted. I have another plan. I will retrieve the girl, and you and your men will wait here for me. I don't think so, Frederick responded. You'll be staying with us from this point forward. He snapped his fingers, calling the other mages to his side. 
Exciting. And a drinking break. So we're having a lot of drinking breaks in this chapter. Very exciting. <laughs> mm. All right. When Margot reached the edge of the clearing and disappeared into the woods, she was greeted by an ecstatic Erin, who threw her arms around the now-free mage in relief. Erin felt Margot return the embrace, and the mage whispered, Thank you. Stephen, in contrast, had his blow, that bow deployed and was carefully watching the exchange across the clearing. Erin, also looking towards Henry, heard the rustling behind her. She turned in surprise only to find the bird from earlier calmly standing behind the three. She grabbed Margot's arm, who turned to look at the bird curiously. The bird started. I have been told that you might have stoneberries in your possession, which... Despite the unflattering title, Margot nodded and said, I may. Present them, and my flock may be willing to help, the bird commanded. Margot looked at Erin with a confused face. Erin nodded, urging Margot to see if she had said berries. With her right hand, Margot reached into the air, her forearm disappearing. The entirety of her arm reappeared as she pulled it towards her with a small burlap sack in hand. She untied the top reached her hand in, and produced a handful of rough brown and gray berries that looked identical to pebbles. You know, there was a pebble earlier in this chapter, too, so maybe he was throwing berries, huh? I doubt it. The bird walked forward to inspect them. When it attempted to peck one, Margot withdrew her hand rapidly. They are all yours if you attack my captors, she said calmly. Henry must not be hurt. Do we have a deal? The bird nodded, an amusing gesture in different circumstances, Aaron noted. Oh my god! Wait, who is this told? What? Uh, she was Aaron? Okay, alright, this is consistent. This is an Aaron section. Aaron felt Margo. Okay, 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 okay. Let's keep going. I, was, I thought I botched this again. Uh, let's see here. Um... Aaron, uh, the bird nodded, an amusing gesture in different circumstances, Aaron noted. Backing up a few steps, the bird said, Yes, witch, we have a deal. My flock shall attack at once. With that promise, the bird leapt into the air and flew away through the forest canopy. Henry was... Oh, oh, drinking break, drinking break. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, this is such a long chapter, huh? Hmm... I'm almost out of this Labatt. It's very, very good. All right. Henry was starting to see the flaw in his plan. He had filibustered as long as he possibly could, and Frederick was clearly finished with him. His minions were now all standing and waiting for an attack command. Henry began trying to concoct some silent magic. However, with all eyes on him, he knew someone would notice. He decided to employ a different strategy. You were always a second-rate mage, Frederick, he snarled. The other mages gasped at this statement, huh. giving Henry a moment more of safety. <laughs> you could never match me. How dare you, he screamed. Henry smiled at the rage in his eyes. Please, what are you going to do? You'll just end up humiliated. You're just angry because you know it's inevitable. Ooh, big word, Henry taunted. 
Knowing that Frederick would snap any moment, he began tensing and preparing for a fight. He was right to prepare. Henry found almost instantly, as Frederick threw... That didn't sound right. He was right to prepare, Henry found almost instantly, as Frederick threw a blaze of energy towards his adversary. As Frederick threw a blaze of energy towards his adversary. Who's Henry? Henry is the adversary. (laughs) Henry raised his right arm and deflected the blast, smiling the whole time. His left hand, however, continued working on something more interesting. What are you waiting for? Get him! Frederick screamed at the mages and soldiers surrounding him. But they could barely even register the command because two dozen large birds chose that moment to descend on Henry's enemies. The birds flapped madly, clawed at faces, and pecked at extremities. Henry took the opportunity to launch his spell at Frederick, who was madly waving at one of the larger falcons. Using his signature attack, Henry fell to the ground on his left knee and smashed his fist into the ground. Frederick knocked the bird from his face in time to glimpse Henry's stance. His anger could only be registered for a split second before Frederick was launched high into the air, flying far from the encampment. So he, like, shot him into the air. I like that visual. Like, ah! Was that good? I think that got the point across. I can look at, like, the audio going by, and you can see it get quieter. So that's some pretty good voice acting, right? Okay. The other mages began trying to attack Henry, who was tiring from deflecting their attacks quickly. Help came from the woods, as Margot emerged first, firing what spells she could at the unprepared mages, throwing two against trees, knocking them unconscious. Stephen emerged next, running at one of the soldiers, slapping at a bird, tackling him, and elbowing him in the face. Henry was able to disable two more mages. Able to disable. Love it. Henry was able to disable two more mages with a spinning burst of light, sending them flying across the clearing and skidding into the forest's edge. Stephen, beset by two soldiers, found aid from Margot, who had grabbed one by his armor and threw him deep into the woods, aided by her powers. Margot's not, like, ripped. Although, you know, she's not out of shape, I don't think. She was never tired during this book. That was just Aaron and Stephen. Not Stephen. Stephen's pretty ripped, too. He's, Stephen's our hunk. we got to remember that. The remaining soldiers scattered in the direction of the stone road, pursu- Ugh, Okay, pursued by the relentless falcons. The remaining mage, a young female, fell to her knees with her arms up as a surrender. Several erudite falcons landed on the ground, encircling the frightened woman, leaving her with no choices. As Henry surveyed the scene, Margot ran up to him, throwing herself into the exhausted mage. Caught off guard, Henry was pleasantly surprised when Margot passionately kissed him. He happily returned the kiss, running his hands through her long black hair. Ah, Drinking break! This is very romantic, don't you think? Hmm. <laughs> All right. Aaron emerged from the woods once the fighting had ended, just in time to see the two ki- to see the two mages kiss. She walked over to Stephen, who stood nearby, trying to catch his breath, and touched him lightly on the arm. "Are you all right?" she asked. "Yeah, whoo! That was something!" he exclaimed. 
I honestly didn't think any of this was going to work out. <laughs> you were impressive, she said. <laughs> he smiled at her. How many did you take down? A few, I'm not sure, he replied. Yeah, you know, come on, man. <laughs> After a moment, Aaron realized that Henry and Margot were still lip-locked. Typo, lip-space-locked. While the now-captive mage stared helplessly. Erin cleared her throat as loudly as she could manage. The kiss finally ended. "'I knew you'd come for me, Henry,' Margot said, smiling. "'Of course I would, Margot,' he responded softly. "'Of course I would, Margot,' he responded softly. Erin <laughs> walked over in an attempt to interrupt the proceedings. "'Um, excuse me, but what are we going to do next? "'And what the hell is that thing?' she asked, "'pointing at the relic in the center of the clearing.' It's an extractor, Margot exclaimed with a capital E this time. <laughs> it wasn't a capital E before, but now it is. It's used to pull the magic and life out of one person to be provided to another. Their, their, ancient, their ancient devices created with the darkest of magics. I didn't think anyone knew how to use them. Oh, we're learning, the captive mage said, surprising the four. "'Excuse me?' Henry asked, walking over to the woman. "'We've been trying it frequently now, and we've had some successes. "'Perhaps you'll get your chance in it,' she snarled. "'Perhaps, but perhaps not,' Henry retorted. "'I don't think I like it. I might destroy it.' <laughs> "'It can't be destroyed,' the kneeling woman said. "'Her arms had since fallen to her side, but her avian captors still kept a close eye on her.' It feeds on magic. If you try to destroy it, it can pull your essence in. Others have tried. Henry turned back towards Aaron and Stephen, rubbing his chin. Feeds on magic, eh? He said to nobody in particular. Henry, just leave it. There's nothing you can do, Margot urged. However, Aaron watched as Henry continued pacing. I have an idea, he finally announced. Grab me a thick, solid stick, like a tree limb. Okay. <laughs> I really don't know why they need a tree limb. <laughs> it's a drinking break now, by the way. I'm actually a little frustrated right here. Uh, ooh, we're almost done. 13 pages. This is taking a while, huh? Mm, mm, mm. That's the can hitting the table. I'm a little annoyed. There was something earlier in the book that I was going to make a discussion question, and I've already forgotten it. Kind of stinky. Hmm. All right. Well, whatever. Does anybody care? Probably not. All right. Aaron and Stephen both walked to the edge of the forest. Aaron was the first to find a tree limb on the ground about the size of her own arm. She brought the gray branch back to Henry. Perfect, he said. He closed his eyes and began mumbling something, mumbling to himself, holding the stick vertically with both hands in front of his face. As Aaron watched in suspense, a dim white fire began to burn around the top half of the limb as Henry continued his mumbling. Henry then lowered the barely burning branch, all right, so it was barely burning at this point, and lobbed it underhand towards the relic in the center of the clearing, which everyone had been standing as far from as far from as possible. I don't think that's a 
standing as far from as possible. Wouldn't you, oh, you know what I was trying to do? I bet you remember how you're not supposed to end sentences with prepositions. I think I was trying. I think which everyone had been standing as far as possible from is probably like how somebody would actually say it in conversation. But you know, I was trying to be pompous, so but it does. It still doesn't work. It, this is a bad sentence. All right. Henry's throw was on target, and the dimly burning limb landed on the extractor. For a moment, Erin failed to see any effect, but she noticed the white fire beginning to spread slowly across the surface of the stone relic. The spreading fire began creating a thick black smoke that drifted upward into the sky. As the white flame spread, it seemed to grow stronger and the smoke grew more plentiful. Erin looked at Margot, whose jaw hung open in shock. When she peered around... Margot, she could see that the captive mage wore the same expression. A glance at Stephen was returned with a shrug of incomprehension. What's going on, Aaron asked, as the white fire grew stronger and stronger. I'm destroying it like I said I would, he replied in a tone that impl- <laughs> he uh, More alliteration. He replied in a tone that implied that he had done what... <sighs> this is a bad sentence. All right. I'm destroying it like I said I would, he replied in a tone that implied that what he had done was not particularly difficult. I used a complicated spell that can convert dark magic into light magic in a flame form. The spell itself is terribly weak. However, the extractor feeds on magic, so it is effectively feeding on the good magic, causing it to spread, which continues to consume its evil magic. Normally this wouldn't occur, but that thing is awfully creepy. Erin nodded at the explanation. It seemed reasonable to her that as someone unfamiliar with such it seemed reasonable to her as someone unfamiliar with such processes. As she watched, she noted that some of the stone was beginning to crumble to the ground. The erudite falcon took the opportunity to land just behind Henry. He turned to see the bird, which cocked his head to examine the fire engulfing the relic. Henry began, I believe we have some unfinished business. Margot, could you please give this fine bird what we promised him? Margot continued to stare at the fire. Margot, he said, tapping her on the shoulder. She shook her head and turned towards the bird. Did you do that, mage? The bird asked Henry. Yes, he replied simply. He looked at Margot again, who was staring at Henry, now wide-eyed. Margot, could you please get our friend his berries? Aw, oh, and that's the end of the chapter! Well, that was an exciting chapter, am I right? Um, I will point out that if you are reading along in the print version, you will have noticed two formatting errors where the book didn't lay out properly. Always cool. And classy to find those, because I didn't know what I was doing when I typeset this. Uh, but, uh, okay, so for all you people with engineering degrees, can you spot the systems engineering tidbit in that chapter? I'll give you a... Well, I'm not going to give you a hint. I'm just going to tell you what the hell it is. Uh, like my friend pointed out, uh, basically, Henry was able to destroy that uh, bad relic, the extractor... Right? Using a feedback loop, right? Because 
the dark magic created more light magic that attracted more dark magic that created more light magic, blah, blah, blah. Yes, so I guess that was a feedback loop. I actually thought it was better described in the book, but it's pretty awful. I actually didn't think it was that poorly written, to tell you the truth. But eh, it wasn't too bad, I guess. You know, and so what did we see? Well, Margot, Margot's back in the story and passionately kissing Henry. So that's pretty exciting, right? This would be one of those chapters where I thought the word waste would appear misspelled since they were smooching, but uh, apparently didn't occur. Am I right? All right. I don't think there was anything else I wanted to uh, mention. Uh, What did you guys think of the birds? Not a discussion question. But if you like my erudite falcons, then uh, yes, get in touch with me and tell me how awesome they are. I think they're pretty snazzy because it's a talking bird, right? And apparently they like to eat berries. Very So I guess that is the only magical creature other than monsters that have been in the book. So let's get on with our discussion questions since we are rapidly approaching a one-hour episode, which is damn way too long for this. All right, what do we got here? Okay, question one. Margot left a clue for our travelers at the fork in the road, and it was a very sparkly flat that you would, quote, wear with a formal gown. And my discussion question is, would you wear flats with a formal gown? I don't normally dress as a woman, so I don't know the protocol here. I always figured you'd have to wear heels if you're going with a gown, right? I guess maybe if you're tall, but uh, what do I know? Not real clear. So write in with your answer and educate me. Yes. Question two. All right. So this is the third appearance of Frederick in this book. After we question whether he'd appear again, because when he first appeared, I was like, was I just trying to make a, I don't know, a name of somebody who was going to... I don't know. I was trying to make it more personal just when he first appeared, but it appears that he's going to be in all these chapters, right? So this is his third appearance, right? He appeared at the very beginning. He appeared when they were going to fight, when they were preparing to fight Henry and Margot and Stephen and Aaron. And he appeared in this chapter. Oh, you know what? Will he make any more appearances? And how many, if so? I'm going to say the over-under is one and a half. So you can bet on one or you zero or one, or you can bet more than two or more, basically. So we'll go an over-under of one and a half, huh? If you, if you know, if you're gamblers, yeah. If you're gambling on my podcast, write in. I'd love to hear about it. Um, but I don't know. I actually have no idea because I didn't think he appeared in the book at all. And then he, there he, bam, three times so far. <laughs> so I guess I needed a bad guy, huh? <laughs> he, you know, but you might want to maybe lean towards that zero because maybe Henry just killed him by sending him off into the air with that amazing attack that hasn't appeared in the book yet, but apparently is his regular attack, right? His specialty. Lame. <laughs> All right, question three, huh? How hunky is Steven? Am I right? Huh? That That's just right in how hunky you think he is. Let's remember, he smashed a lock off that cage that was holding Margot with a rock with his bare hands, right? And then he freaking barehanded fought all those people, right? He, he fought off all those soldiers and stuff. Yeah, 
he's pretty hunky. You could even tell that uh, Aaron was pretty into him, right? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, as she says, very subtly, you were impressive. <laughs> Is that how girls flight, flirt with guys? Yeah, I bet. <laughs> yes. So if you think Steven's a hunk, write in, because I'm pretty sure he was written to be hunky. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that is the end of episode 12, I think. Not too much else to cover. Um, Next week will still be October. I think I'll release it on the 30th. Today's the 23rd. So we'll still be ahead of National Novel Writing Month, so I can discuss that again, make that another introductory talking point. I'll have to come up with something fun. Maybe during the month of November... Uh, people should write in with their own fan fiction of Bring Balance. I think that'd be pretty rad, don't you? Yeah, I like that. Some fan fiction. That would be the ultimate if I had fan fiction written about my book. I'm guessing I won't get any, but, you know, that'd be pretty sweet. But if I got some, oh my god, I would totally read that on this ridiculous podcast. Uh, but anyway, until next week, uh, if you want to contact the show... Uh, you can go over to my website at jeffreadshisbook.com and you can find all my contact information there, including on, on Twitter at Fortran Jeff or on Mastodon at, in the Fediverse, right? At JBA at Mastodon.sdf.org. Or you can email me if you're old school at JBA at SDF.org. Dot org. Yes, there was something I just wanted to mention, and I just forgot. Ah, uh, damn it. Um, what was I saying before I did contact stuff? Huh. Oh, well. Anyway, if you want to contact the show or write in or tell me I'm a terrible reader or tell me this podcast stinks, all of which I would totally understand, please do so. Yes. But until next time, keep on reading. Keep on reading.